Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. And now, brothers and sisters, we go into our topic for tonight, insha'Allah ta'ala. The 30 quick characteristics which make a person a righteous person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks in the Quran about three things, three main themes when it addresses people. The Quran always repeats in different statements the first thing, the belief in Allah and the unseen which He has revealed to us. And He continues, subhanahu wa ta'ala, repeating these same verses and themes over and over again. Allah, His angels, the last hour, the day of judgment, Jannah, paradise and hellfire, all of this unseen. And we see it in the beginning chapter after Surah Al-Fatiha in Surah Al-Baqarah. Alif Lam Mim Thalika Al-Kitab La Rayba Fih Hudan Lil Muttaqeen Al-Lazina Yu'minun Bil-Ghaybi Wa Yuqimun Al-Salata Wa Mimma Razaqnahum Yunfiqun وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُوقِنُونَ أُولَئِكَ عَلَى هُدًى مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ The first five verses of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, Alif Lam Mim, this is that is the true book in all truth. There is no doubt in its verses. Another meaning, there is no doubt about it. It is the true book, the true word of Allah, and there is no ambiguity or doubt or contradiction within it. Hudan lil muttaqeen, this Quran is a guide for those who fear Allah and have God consciousness. This Qur'an is not for people who do not have God consciousness. It is not for people whose heart is not ready to accept or people with preconceived notions when they read the Qur'an ready to fight it. The Qur'an is for the heart that is open, that is ready to read it without any prejudice and see what it does for them and analyze it without any bias. Lil muttaqin, those whose hearts are truly conscious, God conscious, or for those who want the truth. Those who perform their salah. So, worship. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to connect with Allah. You cannot connect with Allah without believing in Allah, the unseen. And they, and they give their charity and alms. And they believe in the hereafter. The hereafter is an unseen. Why does a Muslim believe in the hereafter? Because everything that happens here and we do, we are going to be questioned about in the hereafter. Why is that important? You see, you can have a government, you can have laws, and that would keep certain people in place. The criminal will think twice, and there's punishment and consequences. The domestic violence can be reported. The uh, violence outside or with the neighbors or in the streets can be reported. Theft can be reported. Uh, uh, any kind of crime can be reported. But what if there is no government? What if there is no laws? What if there is chaos? What if there is war? What if there's... And how... And if pe a person can get away with it, will laws make any difference? 
A person can do things in private, in secret, but when you believe in the hereafter, that there is a day that Allah will hold you account. And Allah tells us further in many other verses that He will look inside your heart and He knows what is in your inner mind and heart better than you. And all the secrets will be revealed and all the witnesses will come. And you believe in that? What happens to you? It doesn't matter in public or in private. You become the same. You're always monitoring that Allah is watching you, whether the law is there or not there, whether there are, there are people seeing you or not seeing you. And so believing in the hereafter and the unseen is what the Qur'an talks about. You cannot be righteous without believing in that. The second thing the Qur'an talks about is the practice, worship, worshipping Allah. So number one, the six pillars of Iman, the six pillars of faith, to believe in Allah, His angels, His messengers, His books, uh, his revelations, uh, the hereafter, and in Qadr. And in that same verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, uh, this book confirms the books that were before, the revelations that were before, the original Torah, the original Injil that was sent upon Moses and Jesus, peace be upon them both. And the Qur'an also says, those who believe in this Qur'an, the word of Allah, and in those that were revealed before. So Muslims believe in the original books that were sent down from Allah to Moses, Jesus, Dawood, Ibrahim salam, and all the other prophets. The five pillars of Islam are the practices. Every Muslim must practice the five pillars. Five daily salat, five daily prayers, Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. You cannot be righteous unless all, four, all five are practiced. The five have to be your food and drink, brothers and sisters. Now, I've given a talk about Salat in the past, and I went for several series. You can review, inshallah, it's on YouTube, and inshallah, one day we'll talk in detail about Salat, because that deserves a lecture on its own. Why do Muslims pray? What's the purpose of it? Why does it have to be five? You can review it, inshallah, because I want to go to the 30 characteristics that we want to focus on today. But brothers and sisters, your Zakah, learn about what the Zakat is. Your Hajj, once in your lifetime, if you are able to. Fasting Ramadan, of course, and the Shahada, or the Shahadatain. Living up to your testimony that there is only one God worthy of worship, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is his last and final messenger. These are the foundations. Now, I want you to imagine with me a beautiful palace, a nice house that has the most expensive jewelry and gems in it. It sparkles. Everybody that looks at it, it glitters. But what's the purpose of having this amazingly beautifully built palace, all of its walls and all of its technology that you see in it, the most advanced beauty, if the foundation, the block that it's built on, is weak? What is the purpose? What is the value of a house like that if its foundations that it was built on <clears throat> is weak? What's going to happen if it doesn't take into consideration the soil, the environment, earthquakes, all that stuff. If the engineering is weak, the architecture is weak of this foundation, what's going to happen to this house, to this beautiful palace? It's going to eventually what? Fall. So to be righteous, <clears throat> the foundation is your belief system without your proper aqidah, without your proper belief system in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what he has told us of the unseen, it cannot have a strong foundation. Number two, your acts of worship. Think of your acts of worship as five pillars that are standing that now will hold the rest of the beauty of the house. The decorations, the beautiful cosmetics that makes you shine. So 
let's go into the beauty that makes the Muslim a righteous person. And while your foundation is strong, insha'Allah ta'ala. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Kahf, for example, Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf, verse 108, chapter 18, verse 108, Indeed, those who believe and do good will have the gardens of paradise as an accommodation, where they will be forever, never desiring anywhere else. That is our ultimate goal, my dear brothers and sisters. The ultimate goal and the ultimate reward from Allah is a promise of this great paradise. After you die, the day of judgment comes, and then to paradise or hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from the fire. And I want every Muslim to listen to this, please. Whenever you recite the Quran, brothers and sisters, I see that some Muslims, every time they pass a verse of the Quran that talks, for example, about the punishment or hellfire, what do they automatically think? Do they think that it could be me? Or do they think, oh, those kuffar, they're going to cop it. That's how we think. It's not for me. Brothers and sisters, it's not healthy to think that way. Insha'Allah, it's not for you. But always be weary of Allah's punishment. That's called al-khawf, to fear. What does fear do for you? Fear can be looked at very negative or positive. But a Muslim looks at fear as a positive thing. Why? Without fear, a person will just do anything without concern whatsoever. Yeah, and for example, that's why they have laws to make the, 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 the criminal fear the consequence in order to stop the criminal. In order to stop that husband, for example, from mistreating his wife, to stop that wife from mistreating her husband, from stopping the children mistreating their parents, the parents from mistreating their children, the neighbors from mistreating each other, and so on and so forth. If there is nothing in the mind that tells us, but there has to be some kind of fear, a consequence, people do whatever they want. That's the nature of humans. So fear is one way of keeping us on the right track. And a believer looks like this. Whenever I see an opportunity to do something haram, I remember the fire. And I say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. And so it helps me to swerve away. If it doesn't make me swerve away, at least afterwards I have a sense of guilt in which it turns me to repentance. It says, Ya Rabbi, forgive for what I have done. And then start again. And again. And again. But at least you're always monitoring yourself. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, whenever he used to recite any verse about Jahannam, Hellfire, Day of Judgment, the punishment of Allah in his salat, he would stop. Often he would cry and he would say, Allahumma ajirni minan nar. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say, Allahumma ajirni minan nar. Oh Allah, save me from the fire. Rasulullah, the best of all creation, saying, Allahumma ajirni minan nar. And not only Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say that. All the messengers and prophets, Jesus, Moses, Ibrahim, Yahya alayhi salam, Zakaria, Nuh alayhi salam, all of them, Ya'qub alayhi salam, all the prophets and messengers of Allah used to say, Allahumma ajirna minan nar. Ibrahim alayhi salam used to say, Yawma la yanfa'u malun wa la banun, illa man atallaha bi qalbin salim. Oh Allah, save me from the day that is that is torturous and fearful on a day where no children and no wealth and no power can benefit except whoever arrives with a pure 
and a righteous heart. That's what Ibrahim السلام, used to say. Then when we recite the verses in the Quran about paradise, what do Muslims often do? Yeah, that's mine. That's where I'm going. I love you, Allah. I'm going there. طيب, that's beautiful. It's always good to have this hope, insha'Allah. And in fact, whenever you recite the verses of Jannah, Rasul used to encourage us to ask tremendously for it, and not just, oh Allah, give me Jannah. He used to say, if you ask Allah for paradise, saluhu al-firdaws. Ask him for the highest place of Jannah. Don't say to yourself, oh, I don't deserve it, I'm way behind. No, just ask him for the highest. And that's a psychology. It also works at school. Here comes the teaching skills now. When a student in year 11 or year 12 wants to get an ATAR score or a high score in their exams, and they place their benchmark at 60, they're most likely going to get 60 or below. It's less likely to get above it because they've set their benchmark. You say 80, most likely 80 or below. You set it at 100, most likely you're going to get close to there, inshallah. But of course, you need to put in the effort. But it all starts with the mindset. So Rasulullah said, ask for the highest. Therefore, now we've got two. And don't ever say to yourself, I'm guaranteed paradise. Listen to what the Prophet Muhammad also said. He once sat with his companions and said, Nobody will enter paradise only because of their good deeds. Because we always think you've got to do more good deeds. As if it's like you've got to get a certain amount that qualifies you to enter paradise. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes a person can do little deeds, but they're consistent. And that will make them go to paradise. Sometimes a person can do a small deed, but to Allah it's big. And sometimes you can do a big deed, but to Allah it's very small. Like the person who shows off. Like the person who did it uh, not ne with neglect. Like a person who does it just to riya, to, to, to try and uh, get other people to be impressed. This person's actions will go. You could be praying next to a person in the front row of salat. The exact same salat. On the outside, you look amazing. On the inside, however, one has got minimal rewards. The other one has tremendous rewards. One is in it and, and concentrating while the other one is off with the fairies. So brothers and sisters... There is always a difference in good deeds. So he said, he said, no one will enter paradise just because of their good deeds. Meaning paradise cannot be bought. Nothing of good deeds can equal paradise. That's how amazing paradise is. No one will enter because of their good deeds. Meaning Allah will not bring your good deeds and say, okay, uh, that's what will buy you in paradise. <laughs> you can't even buy a pebble in paradise, even if you worshipped Allah for a thousand years with the best of deeds. Because I want pebble in Jannah. It, it, some pebbles in Jannah are like no eye has ever seen and, no, and there are things that no ear has ever heard and there are things no heart has ever even imagined. Rasul used to say, a palm's worth or the length of a bow and arrow in paradise, a length of a bow and arrow in paradise, you put a bow and arrow on the floor, this big on the floor of paradise. He said, a length of a bow and arrow in paradise, whatever's under that bow, that thin bow, خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا it is far better than the entire earth and everything that is in it. All the buildings and all luxuries or everything in it. One bow. So a good, de good deeds for a thousand years will not equal that. However, he says, He said, I only enter paradise if Allah's favor and mercy reaches me. So our good deeds is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to rise. And when you say pleasing Allah, it's not because Allah needs it. To please Allah, Allah is pleased when he sees you become better. When he sees you become better, that's why he put the laws for you. He wants to see you rise. 
He took pride in you when he told the angels, I'm creating a vicegerent on earth. It's like, for example, to Allah belong the best of examples. Your loving mother, your loving father, your loving mother and your loving father, if you're still a child, they may punish you for doing the wrong. But is that because they want to, if they're good loving parents? Or is it in order to help you grow up a better person? Because if they let you go, you'll become spoiled, something will go wrong with you. A mother, a loving mother, for example, will punish you in the right way. And a loving father will punish you in a wise way. Of course, in a way that is disciplined and will help you become a better person. Not destroy you and cause you trauma. I'm not talking about those types of parents. But a loving one truly would love to see you grow. Isn't that correct? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see you grow and He is pleased with you. Your parents are pleased with when you see you doing better. And you will suffer a little bit, but through suffering comes good things as well. So brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to see you grow. Rasul said, only with Allah's mercy and favor do we enter paradise. And our good deeds please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our good deeds, Allah multiplies them because of His mercy and because of His favor. So it means that He brings that good deed that you've done on the Day of Judgment, and Allah will say, I have multiplied it over and over and over and over and over until it equals paradise, even though you've done a small deed. That one salat that you did, Allah will count it for you on the Day of Judgment, like the entire earth, and that will be worth so much in paradise. So Allah multiplies your good deeds. You can give one dollar in charity, and Allah will multiply it over and over and over again. An example of that is in Surah Al-Hadid, where Allah says, for example, مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يُقَرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ وَلَهُ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ Who is there among you who would like to give Allah a goodly loan? And Allah will repay it back to you with interest and will multiply it for you over and over and over again. That one thing you put, Allah will multiply. This is how, what it means when Rasulullah said, no, no one will enter paradise because of their good deeds. They said, not even you, Ya Rasulullah. He said, not even I, except if Allah's favor and mercy is upon me. So ask Allah for, for his favor and his mercy and for Allah to accept your good deeds. So a Muslim lives between hope and fear all the time in life, balanced, not this one more than the other. Some people a little bit more hope, some people work a little bit more with fear, but a little bit of this, a little bit of that, according to what measures and works best for you. There may come times when you, know, you don't need fear. A person has passed away in your family and you're going through great grief. Now's not the time for fear, now's the time for mercy and hope. So you listen and read more about mercy and hope. At times when you're in luxury and you've forgotten yourself, it's a bit, bit of time for fear. And that's how Allah subhanahu wa made the Qur'an, has, has spoken the Qur'an, a balanced way for the human being. Now let's go, inshallah, through the 30 things. Number one, brother and sister, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I have, as a matter of fact, I have been sent in order to perfect your good character. In another hadith, the best of character. And the one that I, that I uh, narrated was, Masalih al-akhlaq. Masalih and makarim al-akhlaq are two different meanings. Makarim means the best of. Masalih means the type of character that is correct and good. Meaning, some people will think that certain character is good. But Allah says, no, not that character. I'm going to fix it. This is the character which is good. So masalih means to fix the understanding 
of the people's perception of what is good and bad, what is righteous and what is not, what is good character and what is not. Some people might think good character is to go when your cousin calls you, he's having a fight with someone, and you don't care whose fault it is, you know it's your cousin's fault, and you say, yeah, because it's my cousin, that's my character. My mum and dad taught me to be a thug in a good way, to back up my cousin, and let's go bash the other guy even if he's a victim. To you, that might be good character. Yeah, I am loyal. I am loyal to that person. They be loyal in a good way or in a bad way, in right or in wrong, in justice or injustice. So Allah says, no. Rasulullah said, I have, as a matter of fact, I've been sent to correct and to perfect the right character. Do you understand? If your character is right, everything is right, inshallah. You've got a character with Allah, and that is the belief system. Don't go making up your own belief system because that is a blasphemy against Allah. You are being disrespectful to Allah. Don't go worshipping other idols and making up your own type of worship other than the way Allah taught you. Otherwise, that is blasphemous to Allah. Your character is bad with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now we come to the character with people. Number one. Now, before I say them, Rasul said, Whatever I commanded you with, do as much as you can of it. And whatever I forbid you, Stay away from it. Forbid you meaning the major sins. As for the minor sins, everyone falls into them. And the good deeds wipe away the bad deeds. Listen to my topic about major sins and minor sins. It's on YouTube for a detailed discussion about it, inshallah. Number one, brothers and sisters, is a very obvious one. The first virtuous character make you righteous, sincerity in intentions. Nothing in this world that you do which you seek Allah's pleasure from will be accepted if your intentions are hypocritical. For example, I come to make salat, prayer, and I do it for another reason. The reason is to impress that uncle because I want to marry his daughter. I've never been to the masjid, maybe. I don't usually pray, but I'll pray because I want to impress him to think I'm righteous to marry his daughter. You have to do it for the sake of Allah. Otherwise, it'll be caught out. Wallah, a person, a sister might say, he's so good looking, that man. I've heard so many good things about him. But I've, started, I've still got to fix up some of my religious habits. So she puts on a show for him. And later on, after marriage, goes back to the way she was. Now, I'm not picking on her or him. I'm picking on both. Happens to the men and the women. All of us, we're all the same. Any action that is supposed to be for Allah, if you don't do it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it becomes haba'a like the dust in the wind. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Actions are but by intention, and every man shall have only that which he intended. Sahih Bukhari. Also in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim, Rasul sallallahu said to his companions, Do you know who will be the first with which hellfire will be ignited? They said, Allah and His Messenger know best. He said, the first will be a scholar of Islam. A alim. Allah will ask, why did you learn the knowledge? He said, ya Rabbi, he'll say, Ya Rabbi, I learned to, to teach the people for your sake and to guide the people for your sake. Allah will say to him, you are lying. And the angels will say, yes, you are lying. And then Allah will say, you only did it so that people can call you a knowledgeable man. Today you have nothing. You have already received your reward, which you intended. 
the second man or the second woman, the second person, will be a person who, is a, who died in, on the battlefield. He says, Ya Rabb. He says, what did you do with your body? He'll say, I died for your sake. I'm a martyr. I died protecting and defending the innocent and the oppressed and for your sake and for your deen. And Allah will say, you lie. The angels will say, you lie. And then Allah will say, you only did it so that people can say what a courageous, brave man he was. And you wanted statues and to be remembered in the books. You have received it already. And the third person is the one who gave in charity all his life or her life. Same thing will happen. What did you do with the wealth I gave you? He will say, I gave it, Ya Rabb, for your sake. He will say, you are lying. The angels will say, you are lying. And Allah will say, you only gave it so people can say what a generous person he is. Or she is. Rasulullah said, that will be the first in which hellfire will be ignited with. Because they have nothing left. Your intentions are all gone. So brothers and sisters, intention is the most important thing. Now worldly matters, like you have a nice car, you have a nice watch, you have a nice... Uh, clothing, you have a nice uh, uh, whatever you have, a nice phone, a nice purse, a nice hat, a nice sunglasses, and you like to impress people with it, that's not considered an act of worship. So it's not shirk or anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with it. Impressing people is nice. Because that's why people like to dress. Sometimes I like to dress nice to impress people. And when they tell me you look good, I feel good about myself. That's not a problem in Islam, by the way. This is a misconception. The misconception is when you do it only for the people. And if you don't receive the praise, you get angry, you get upset. You start thinking, Allah has uh, betrayed me. I, it's not fair. So the reaction, the reaction is the problem. And also when you think that you're better than others, when it starts affecting your heart and you start to think you are better than other people with arrogance, this is when showing off becomes a problem. And that's not even called showing off when you just do it sincerely because you like people to say it's nice. Nothing wrong with that, but you intend well for other people. This is how you remedy it. Number two, purifying the tongue. Listen, young people, purifying the tongue and the private part. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Whoever can guarantee the chastity of what is between his two jaws, بَيْنَ الْحِيَيْهِ his two jaws, jawbones, and what is between his two legs, his tongue and his private parts, I guarantee paradise for him. The hadith is in Bukhari 6474. What does that mean? It means that after you've believed in Allah and you're doing your acts of worship, then all that's left is to monitor your tongue and monitor your chastity, your sexuality. Use it in the halal. Don't use it in the haram. That's what it means. It means avoid zina, avoid adultery and fornications, and try your best to limit or to stay away from the footsteps towards it. Of course, the footsteps towards it start minor, then they get bigger and bigger as you get closer. But keep it lower. I know that young people are saying to me, brother, come on, man, I, it's everywhere. They say lower your gaze this day and age. Lowering your gaze is worse. I have to look up because there's so much haram and nudity around. You know, one time I came out of my house in my car. I'm driving down and this bus, it's a two-way. And this bus is about to take off. Now I saw on that bus from a distance, right at the back is a huge billboard of a woman not dressed appropriately. And I said, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, I pass. And then the bus went in front of me. And I couldn't overtake the bus. Now if I look straight, I'm looking at Haram. 
If I overtake, cars are coming, I might have an accident. If I look away, I'm going to hit into the bus. What am I going to do? Alhamdulillah, what do you do? It's one of those looks where it's forgiven, inshallah. <laughs> That's all. What do you do? So Islam, Islam, I'm not saying it's deliberate, but what can you do? So I'm saying that there are situations, Allah knows, it's not in your hands. And if you do fall into some type of haram like that, brothers and sisters, don't let it linger. Don't tell people about it, unless you need help, some advice. But ask Allah to forgive you again and again. Make wudu, pray to rakaz, always wash yourself as much as you can until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assists you in leaving that haram. Rasul also said, do you know what is backbiting? It is to say something about your brother that he would dislike. In Sahih Muslim. Now you all know what backbiting means in Islam. To say something about your brother or sister in their absence, which they dislike you to say. Usually the people who dislike you say, it means bad things, negative things. So two conditions. They're absent, they're not here. Number two, saying it that is negative, saying negative things about him. Some, some people said, what if he's your friend and he doesn't care? I say, even then, avoid it, because he might care. You don't know that. And if you do, go and ask that friend forgiveness, if he's a good friend, and you think he doesn't care, just say, look, I said that, I'm sorry, man, I was just joking. I say, yeah, it's all right, buddy. And if it's somebody that would cause a bigger problem if you went and told them, then make dua for them, and go back to that group and say, hey, guys, look, I take it back. If you posted anything, delete it. Make up something for it, inshallah, and will take care of your gossip. Obviously, backbiting can be minor or major. The minor ones can go away. The major ones are a big problem because you can ruin someone's life. Number three, to be a righteous person, kindness and gentleness. Rasul said, kindness is a mark of faith, and whoever is not kind has no faith. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Rasul also said, anything you apply gentleness, kindness, and care to it, it beautifies it. And anything you take it out of, it makes it ugly and ruins it. One time, the group of neighbors of the Prophet ﷺ, who happened to be Jews, they were from Bani Qurayza and Bani Nadir at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. They heard about the Prophet, peace be upon him, teaching the Muslims, Assalamu Alaikum. They also have the word Shalom, which still means peace. And they knew that the Prophet's dua is accepted by Allah. They knew deep inside. This is the story that we know from our seerah, from our hadiths. So what happened one day is that they started to say to the believers, Assalamu alaikum. They would hide the L sound, Assalam. Assalam means peace. If you take the L away and you just say Assam, it means poison and death. So they used to say to the believers at one point, Assalamu alaikum. And the Muslims reply, Wa alaikum assalam with good intentions. So when the Prophet ﷺ found this out, uh, he wanted to teach them. So he said, if they say, if they greet you, say wa alaykum and upon you. And I think some Muslims, they misinterpreted that, thinking that you're not allowed to say salamu alaykum to any non-Muslim. That is incorrect. Because Allah says in the Quran, وَإِذَا حُيِّتُمْ بِتَحِيَّةٍ Then what? Anyone know the rest? فَحَيُّ if you are greeted with any kind of greeting, a good greeting, then give that greeting, oh my God, then give that greeting, give that greeting in a better way, or just return it in the same way. So Rasul said, say wa alaykum, because they were saying assam. One day they came around and they said, Ya Muhammad, assamu alaykum. 
He said to them, وَعَلَيْكُمْ Aisha radiallahu anha, his wife was there. She didn't hear the Prophet sallallahu say, وَعَلَيْكُمْ She screamed at them. She said, upon you, upon you is death. And she said big words. Rasul sallallahu said to her, بِالرِّفْقِ يَا عَائِشَ بِالرِّفْقِ With care, يَا عَائِشَ with care. That's the hadith. Anything you apply care or kindness or gentleness in it, it beautifies it. What was the care that he was talking about? Meaning, Ya Aisha, don't lose your own character. What does it mean with care? It means think. Allah, did you not hear what I said? I said, Wa alaykum. I took care in how I reply without losing my self respect. And upon you. Meaning, if you said to me, death, upon you. If you said to me, poison, upon you. If it was really. Peaceful, as-salam, then also salam upon you. You don't need to go off. Just maintain your discipline and your dignity. That's what it means, rifq, kindness, gentleness, care. Also between husband and wife, with your children. Rasulullah said, Inna Allah fil umuri kulliha. Allah loves gentleness, care, and kindness in all matters. See this table here in front of me? Treat it with care. Your mobile phone, treat it with care. Your body, your clothing, your hair. Your eyes, your children, your pets, insects that you see, uh, an animal uh, that, that you, know, you don't like, or anything, or, or a, an insect that you, if you're able to take that spider out with care, then do so, if you can. If you can't, khair, inshallah, it's not a sin, but uh, you try your best to take care in everything, in anything that you do. That's what a Muslim does. Number four, respecting your elders. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, he, who, he is not one of us who does not have mercy upon your young ones and respect of our elders. The hadith is in Tirmidhi. Number five, honesty. Honesty leads to righteousness and righteousness leads to paradise. The Prophet said, this is Zai Bukhari. Honesty, brothers and sisters, is not just merely saying the truth. It's also acting in honesty. An example of, a few examples of acting in honesty other than just speaking is as follows. When you sign a contract, say for an employment, or to do a job if, you're, if that's what you do, a tradie or something like that, or you have a service for someone, then you fulfill what you promised and what you signed to and what you said. That is honesty in work, honesty in promises to people. If you made a promise to someone, then you must fulfill it. You have to be honest. You have to be honest to Allah. You said, I believe in you, Allah. Be honest to that. Be honest. Don't be hypocritical. If you are honest when you got married, marriage is love, but it's also an agreement and a contract. There are rights. You have to fulfill those rights. If you divorce, you have to be honest. What is the honesty? As Allah commanded you, when you divorce, don't let hatred or resentment swerve you to injustice. If you are honest in, with your neighbor, even if your neighbor is bad to you, only do what's right. Don't do what's wrong. Don't transgress. Wallahi, even in war with the enemy, be honest. What does it mean, be honest? It doesn't mean they can't do trickery in war. Prophet said trickery is allowed in war. But be honest, meaning the, if they want peace, you also want peace. If there are uh, prisoners, you have to treat them in the way that Allah told you to, with kindness and uh, with care and with uh, goodness. Uh, don't transgress and so on. So honesty is in everything, brothers and sisters. Number six, dealing justly. 
Prophet ﷺ told us, deal with people on the basis of good manners and justice. And remember the ayah I just recited, Don't let your hatred of a people make you become unjust. Just because you hate someone or, or they've done something bad to you, don't be unjust. Meaning don't do more than what it was your right. You might say they deserve more. And if somebody slapped me, I can forgive and pardon and say a word, or I can slap them exactly the same way, that's justice. But if I give them two slaps, that's injustice. Yeah, he deserves it because he started it. That's in your head. But Allah tells you, no, that's not, that's not right. Somebody lied to you. So you go, I'm going to get him back. I'm going to lie to them. La, lying is haram. But taking your right is okay. So if they lied to you and took money off you, you have a right to take your money back in any means. But if there's going to cause more harm, don't do it. However, the point is you've got to be just. And Allah says, وَإِن هُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ If you were to pardon, and pardoning will be better, then do it. Number seven, smiling cheerfully. Rasul whenever he entered his home, Aisha says, كَانَ بَسَّامًا كَانَ بَشُوشَ الْوَجْهِ He was always smiling when he entered the home. His face was cheerful. When you saw him, you felt at ease. Every worry you had, every fear you had, you thought, it's all going to be good. The children used to rush to the Prophet because of his smiley face. You know, a friend of mine, he has another friend who's got a seven-year-old daughter. So his mate calls him up and says, hey, bro, where are you? He goes, why? He goes, my daughter is asking me at this cafe where she saw you, she's saying, where is that smiling man? She didn't remember his name or anything. She remembered his smile. Where's the smiling man? See, the innocence of the child teaches us something. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ was. Hello, some people, they can't help it. Their face just looks always angry, but that's how they were born. What can you do? But in general, <laughs> be a smiley person as much as you can. Number eight, patience and tolerance. The Prophet ﷺ said, The strong man is not the one who can overpower others, but the strong man is the one who can control himself when he is angry. Sahih Bukhari. What's the point you've got to remember here? Anger is not haram. Sometimes anger is good. But he said, you control yourself when you are angry. How do you do that? Well, one very quick one to do is try your best to get used to waiting 90 minutes. <laughs> I bet none of you are able to do that. Nine zero minutes. Say, bro, come on. Uh, people would have, I would have destroyed a lot of people in 90 minutes. Say, walk away. Do something. 90 minutes until you get homeostasis in your body. And then you can at least try to think. Rasul said, whoever controls themselves and gets used to it, controls themselves at time of anger, is a very strong person. We all know what problems anger have caused in families and beyond. Number nine, compassion to animals. I can give a whole lecture about that. Now, this doesn't mean some sisters, when they're single, they want to marry someone, they say, one condition of me marrying you is I've got to have a cat. I've got to have two cats. And oh, those kittens, they're so cute kittens everywhere. Before you know it, they've gone and committed zina outside and they bring a lot of cats into the house. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? That's what they, anyway, the cats, what they do is, we're not saying have them all over the place because you're saying, oh, I'm really kind to pets. Yeah, and if there's a cat outside and 
it's meowing and you've got something to give it food, give it. Otherwise, if it's a pet for a neighbor, don't try and do that. They might get upset. But the point is, don't harm them. And uh, anything, anything that has life in it, if you can be gentle and kind to it, then be kind to it. I think everybody understands kindness to animals in Islam. Uh, a man entered paradise uh, because his last sin, he asked Allah to forgive him for it by uh, giving a dog to drink water. Honoring the guest. Number 10 is a righteous character of every Muslim. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Whoever believes in Allah and the last day, let him honor his guest. Sahih Bukhari. Of course, some guests, they come unannounced. So long as they're still outside, you're allowed not to let them in if you want. As soon as you open the door, they have to come in. Well, well, as soon as you welcome them in, you have to be hospitable to them. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, hospitable to them is what you can afford from your house. Don't go overboard. But what you can afford with your house, the point is be hospitable. And Muslims have always been known for their hospitality, brothers and sisters. You've got a neighbor, treat them like a guest, go over, give them something. Even if they're non-Muslim, let them see how Islam teaches us to honor the guest. And whoever honors their guest, there is another hadith, I forgot its, it's uh, reference, but it's an authentic hadith that a guest that you treat well and be hospitable to them, when they leave, the, the, the sins leave with them. So your sins of the day leave with them, meaning that, that, that not that they go to the guest, it means that the guest helps by being char- charitable to them, they, uh, your sins go out by being hospitable to your guest. Number 11, caring for the orphans is a huge thing in Islam. Obviously, we all know this. You might go to one of the Islamic organizations and sponsor an orphan or two, brothers and sisters, if you can afford it. And this, of course, will be a sadaqa jariya for you, an ongoing charity, even after your death. And if it can continue and you tell someone to continue and tell them, listen, if you can continue it, then it will be also a contribution that is ongoing, inshallah. Number 12, maintaining family ties. A lot of people have neglected this one. You've got to find a way to maintain your family ties, even the ones you can't get along with, even if it's a little bit. Some people say some of them harm us. Well, it depends what harm. When I hear about the harm, some people, when they describe the harm, it's not really harm, harm. It's harm that you can resolve or you can still work from a distance. But of course, if it's a major harm and something like that, Islam does allow you to cut off that family member if they are truly bringing serious harm to you or your children. But generally speaking, 90% of our family members, brothers and sisters, we need to maintain our family ties. Even if it's a phone call, even if it's, you know, uh, look, we have something where if there's a problem and you can't solve it, minimize it. Minimize it. This is the formula. There's a problem, you can't solve it, can't be perfect, minimize it. Can't do that much, don't leave it all. Some people, they say it's all or nothing. It's all the way or you cut them off completely. That's, that's terrible. That's, I think some people have harsh hearts like that. And remember that we have children that watch us. They look at how I treat my parents. They look at how I treat my um, brothers and sisters. And then when they grow up, that's how they're going to treat each other. The tiniest thing that get upset, cut off. Your, um, what's the word for it? Uh, I think, what is it? Narcissistic? Narcissism? There's another one. Oh, toxic, toxic. That's the word. It's kind of like a trend, toxic. You know, I've heard a lot of people, this one's toxic. And this one's toxic, right? And this one calls this one toxic. This one calls the other one toxic. And each one's righteous. And then what do I do? I say, no, no, you're not toxic. The other one, no, you're not toxic. You can't solve it. Until you look into yourself and you're honest with yourself. Honesty. 
If I am bad to you, I should be honest about that. And this is what Allah looks at. Whoever humbles themselves for the sake of Allah, Allah will lift them. Of course, I've given a whole lecture, three series about family. You can go back to it, inshallah ta'ala. It's also on YouTube. I'll just say a few more, inshallah, or I can say them quickly. Forgiving others. Now, a lot of people say forgiving, forgiving. I've given a talk about that as well. You don't have to forgive every single person. That's your right. But out of righteousness, if forgiving a person will lead to a better outcome, then forgive them, brothers and sisters. And if forgiving a person will not cause more of harm, forgive them. No, they don't deserve it. But they see, they're sleeping good. You're always going to sleep with this grudge in your heart. Forgive them for your own sake. Leave it in the past. And wallah, you'll see the doors opening for you, inshallah ta'ala. But don't forgive people who you know will abuse that forgiveness. No, don't forgive those people. Especially people who are known to use and abuse people's kindness. Now, it has to be real. Some people make it up. Not they use and abuse my kindness, but they're really just imagining things. It's got to be real. So it's real and rational. They do really do it. You've given them chances. Then there comes a time I don't forgive you, meaning I'm not going to deal with you in the same way as before. And by the way, if you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you have to be exactly in the same relationship as you were before. Forgiving them means that, okay, but it doesn't mean it's going to be the same. I will still you know, interact with you in other ways, but not in this way anymore. And that's very normal. Number 14 is humility. Now, I'll give you a very quick formula about humility. The Prophet ﷺ said, um, He who does not have mercy upon people, Allah will not have mercy upon him. The hadith is in Bukhari. Having mercy is when somebody deserves to be punished. And they've taken a right of yours and deserve being punished and you are able to punish them. Instead, you let go of some of your rights and you take it easy on that person or you forgive. That's what mercy means. So if you want Allah to give you that type of mercy on the day of judgment for sins that you've done, for wrong that you've done, for crimes that you've done, and you want Allah to just let go of it out of his mercy, then you also do that for people. So long as that mercy will not lead to something worse. Okay? So have mercy when things can be given mercy and when you have power over someone. And humility, by the way, doesn't mean that you walk around dangling your head and you're a humble peasant who walks around like, mashallah, uh, you're a, what we call uh, a darwish in Arabic. I think that's a Turkish word, darwish. Darwish or darwish means a person who has sold the world and doesn't care. People can slap them out and they'll just say thank you and they just walk away. No, no. In Islam, we don't have that. In Islam, we don't have that. And remember when I talked about Umar al-Khattab, he saw a young man, he's walking with his back arched and his head dangling and he's dragging his feet and his clothes are very, 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 very simple deliberately. Well, he's acting like he is an ascetic. He has given up on the entire world. Giving up on the world is not like that. He comes down off his camel, Umar al-Khattab, he used to have a stick with him and he tapped him on the back of his neck and said, lift your head up. Lift your head up. Islam is not a sickness. Are you sick? You follow Islam, it makes you sick. Saw another man sitting in the masjid, a young boy. He's just sitting there reading Quran and praying and just avoiding the entire world. He said, who provides this young man? He said, his older brother. He says, wallah, his older brother is better than him. Sure, they're just sitting there for the community to provide him. Sit there begging. That's not what a Muslim is. A Muslim has to be strong and a giver, not a taker. Well, if you need, then you take. But try to build yourself up. So, humility. And one beautiful formula is always try to appear, brothers and sisters, appear to people less than your reality. You're really good at something. Appear 
Humble yourself. Be a bit less. What you shouldn't do is try to appear above your reality. Don't say, I've got this qualification and that qualification because you can lie to that person just so you can look like you're a scientist or a professor. Don't do that. Because you're going to fall flat on your face soon with that. Don't try to appear like you're stronger than what you know you really are. Because the moment you go to the gym and they say, hey bro, this one, come, come friends, look, this guy Muhammad, well, he can lift 140 um, on the bench press. And then you're going to, you stuffed yourself up. You can only lift 40. Or 20 maybe. And you've got to lie more. See, that brings another lie and another lie and another lie. So don't appear higher than way up. Appear below your reality and you'll always be okay, inshallah. Last few ones, inshallah. I'll say them quickly now. A righteous person helps others. Helps others wherever they can. Number 16. He is moderate. Not too extravagant this way and not too miserly that way. In his walk, in his talk, in everything. Number 17. Speaking good or keeping silent. How many of us do that? Well, this is a disease today. Now, a lot of people don't speak much because they're introverts. But on, on online, watch them go, man. They're all hulks. Online. They go away. You look and you think, what? Her? Him? They never ever talked in seven years when we were at high school. Wow, really become something, haven't they? But they're just talking and abusing and talking and just saying all rubbish stuff. Rasulullah said, if you want to say something, say it. If it's good or be silent. Save your tongue. If it's not good, don't say it. You're in doubt, don't say it. Don't just throw every, every, the first thought that comes to you. So that's a righteous person. Speak good or keep silent. Number 18, charity and generosity. We went through that. Number 19, fair business practice. I already went through that as well. But I'll mention a quick hadith. Prophet said, The buyer and the seller have the option of cancelling or confirming the bargain unless they separate. And if they spoke the truth and made clear the defects of the goods, then they would be blessed in their bargain. And if they told lies and hid some defects or facts about what they're selling, their bargain would be deprived of Allah's blessings. Selling a car, you clock the case backwards. You say, I'm selling, this is genuine ASICs, but it's really OSICs. Uh, these are Ray-Bans, but they are actually Bay-Bans. You can't really see it, it's just up there, all this fake. So present the product as it should be clearly and it'll be blessed inshallah and don't hide defects. Number 20, justice for all. Number 21, praying for others, making dua for others. The Prophet ﷺ said the supplication of a Muslim for his brother in his absence will certainly be answered and there is an angel that responds saying and for you the same. Number 22, encouraging good and forbidding evil. Now I'm going to make a separate lecture about this topic. Commanding guhud and prohibiting evil. Because some people, man, they, they, they make other people run away from Islam. As soon as they see the tiniest wrong deed, they all want to advise that person. Yeah, akhi, you don't have to advise everyone every time. On, on the internet, you see a sister Muslim just converted to Islam. She's got no hijab. She's trying to be better. 50 people, sister, where the hijab? Sister, you should be doing that. Look, yeah, akhi, you made her hate becoming a Muslim. Take it easy. Not everything has to be told and as if uh, you're going to go to hellfire if you don't say it. Allah says, فَذَكِّرْ إِنْ نَفَعَتِ الذِّكْرَةِ 
Remind. If you know the reminder, will benefit. That's in Surah Al-A'la. فذكر, remind. In. If. نفعت الذكرى. If you know that reminder, will benefit. It won't make things worse. Most people here in Australia, in the West, they don't like being told about how they dress and walk. So avoid it. Make dua for them and speak in a public gathering if you can. Uh, talk in a way that it's indirect. Lastly, brothers and sisters, uh, number 23, uh, guiding with wisdom. Oh, how, how convenient that was. Guiding with what? With wisdom. I don't swear at you because you're doing the wrong thing and forget about myself. I guide with wisdom. And one thing beautiful about this is, if I'm going to guide you and that guiding is going to cause a bigger problem, then it is haram to say anything. If I know that you've got a really bad temper, I know that. And I think if I tell him that he is going to swear and do things, then it's haram for me to say anything to him or her because then I've caused them to swear and do a lot of things. I've got to use another approach. So guide with wisdom. 24. Being grateful is a mark of a righteous person. Children, be grateful to your parents. Husband and wife, be grateful to each other. Be grateful to your neighbor. Be grateful to your teacher. Be grateful to the people who have done good for you. Be grateful, brothers and sisters. Number 25, emphasizing humility. We said that before. No one humbles themselves except that Allah raises them. Number 26, prioritizing family. And if you're about to do something good, and you can do good for this person or that person, one or the other. Let's give an example. You have $100, this person's in need and that person's in need, and you can only give it to one. Look at the one who is family. If one of them is family, then give it to the family before the friend. A family member calls you for help, a friend calls you for help, they're both equal, you go to the family. Allah says in the Quran, Al-Aqrabuna awla bil ma'roof. Family and the closer ones are more worthy of your help. A neighbor or a far neighbor, the closer neighbor, and so on. Uh, lastly, 27, being patient in adversity. Number 28, seeking knowledge. Number 29, taking care of women. Now, of course, women should also take care of men, especially here in Australia, man. And when the laws are oof, all over the place, then the point of that is whether you're a man or a woman, if you have power to hurt the other person, whether it's strength, physical, whether it's with your tongue, whether it's economic with your wealth, whether it's with your children, whether it's with the internet, like reputation, and whether it's with the law or any other way, if you have that power, brothers and sisters, then a righteous man or a righteous woman takes care of that and is not unjust. In fact, they're kind. And Allah says, especially between husband and wife, Never forget the favors between you that you've had. Rasulullah said, The best of you is the one best to his wife, and I am the best among you to my wife, as an example in Tirmidhi. And lastly, number 30, maintaining trustworthiness. The signs of a hypocrite are three, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said. When he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks it. And when he is entrusted, he betrays the trust. Sahih Bukhari and similar to it in Muslim. Brothers and sisters, these are 30 qualities that we can, inshallah, work on. Inshallah, it'll be on YouTube. You can go back and enumerate them all, make that an exercise. First person I see in the comments saying one, two, three, four, five. Inshallah, we'll give him a shout out. How's that? All right. Jazakumullah khair.